Support for the Legislative Gazette comes from New York State United Teachers, a union of professionals standing with more than 600,000 workers in education, human services, and healthcare with the Our Voice, Our Values, Our Union campaign. And United University Professions, representing 37,000 academic and professional employees at SUNY campuses and teaching hospitals across New York State. Frederick E. Cole, President, UUPinfo.org. Governor Kathy Hochul says New York is creating a stockpile of an abortion drug after a Texas judge's recent ruling that outlaws a similar pill. The Legislative Gazette's Karen DeWitt reports. Hochul, speaking at a virtual meeting of Planned Parenthood of Greater New York, decried recent court decisions limiting reproductive rights. They include the U.S. Supreme Court's Dobbs decision last June. It overturned the 50-year-old landmark abortion rights decision Roe v. Wade. And last Friday's ruling by a Texas federal judge that outlawed mifepristone, a commonly used abortion medication. And when it comes to reproductive freedom in this country, we are right now facing historic, horrific setbacks. Just one year ago, women in this country had a constitutionally protected right to an abortion. The governor says the judge's ruling ignores decades of scientific data showing that the drug is safe and effective. She says it also undermines the credibility of the Federal Food and Drug Administration. It, for two decades, has authorized the drug to be used off-label for abortions. Medicaid abortions are still possible using another drug, misoprostol, which is commonly paired with mufepristone. Hochul, anticipating further threats to abortion rights, says the state will collect and reserve a five-year supply of 150,000 doses of misoprostol. New York State will create a stockpile of misoprostol, another form of medication abortion. Extremist judges have made it clear that they won't stop at any one particular drug or service. So it's going to ensure that New Yorkers will continue to have access to medication abortion no matter what. Misoprostol can be used by itself to induce abortion, but it's less effective, and in some cases it can lead to complications like bleeding, infection, and damage to the uterus. The governor says she will also work with the legislature to pass a law to require that private insurers cover misoprostol when it's prescribed off-label for abortion. The measure would also ensure that no provider is charged more for medical malpractice insurance or even denied coverage if they prescribe the drug. State Attorney General Tish James also spoke to the group. She says she's filed an amicus brief in the Biden administration's appeal of the Texas judge's decision. The Federal Department of Justice is seeking a stay of the ruling until all legal appeals are concluded. In New York, we will not be bullied by right-wing ideologues. On the same day of the Texas ruling, a federal judge in Washington state ruled that the FDA cannot act to limit the use of mefepristone for abortions. That decision covers 17 states in the District of Columbia, but New York is not among them. Planned Parenthood of Greater New York President Wendy Stark says her organization will continue to provide medication abortions using misoprostol as well as offering clinical abortions. We want to send a loud and clear message to our patients. Abortion is health care and it is still your legal right in New York State. The Texas judge's ruling is due to take effect this Friday. Planned Parenthood officials were asked by reporters if they might continue to prescribe both drugs for medication abortions as long as they still have supplies of mufepristone in stock. They said they could not comment on that possibility. 
In Albany, I'm Karen DeWitt. The wave of swatting incidents across New York and the Northeast has attracted the attention of U.S. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, who stopped by Troy High School this week to demand new action to crack down on hoax calls. The Legislative Gazette's Dave Lucas was there and filed this report. Schumer says threatening phone calls have disrupted 226 schools across the state over the past two weeks, and he's calling on the federal government to launch a full investigation. He's come up with a three-pronged plan to tackle the crisis, starting with a nationwide FBI probe into the incidents. Second, I'm calling for us to supercharge the FBI. I will put in this summer's budget $10 million specifically to target swatting. A, to require to get more FBI agents on the case, and B, it takes a lot of computer work and cyber work to go after these people. And so they need the money for the machinery and the computer time and all of that. The Democrat says he'll also ask the FBI to track all the swatting incidents in the last several years. They don't track them now. As any law enforcement can tell you, when you track these things, you learn better. Schumer says criminals, possibly operating from other countries, use virtual private networks and voice over IP to cloak their activities. So what I want the FBI to do this $10 million is create a cyber super SWAT team to go after those who are SWATting in our schools. It's a full-fledged team with all the resources they need to do what they need to do. Troy Police Chief Dan DeWolf says the recent swatting incident at the high school and middle school drained resources. We had upwards of 25 to 30 officers that responded across the city um, and primarily here at Troy High. Uh, you know, and it, it takes away from other real calls for service where people need a police officer there. And it also, you know, there's a propensity for something bad to happen when you have to have all these people rushing in and, and people are stressed out. Um, you know, so it's just, it's unnecessary and it is uh, something that has to be stopped. Schumer praised first responders, students and teachers for how they've handled the swatting calls. But we don't want to have to go through that reaction over and over again. And you know, it's a little, I, I know some people say, older people, they say, well, you know, we went through this in the 50s and 60s and 70s when we thought the Russians would bomb us and kids had to get into under their desks. And I remember doing that in PS 197. But it's different because no Russian missile ever came, so you sort of knew it's unlikely to happen. But when you hear there's an active shooter in your school, you know there have been active shooters in other schools. So it makes the, the trauma so much the worse, the fear so much the worse. The possibility that this is real, deeper in the heart of every person, every student, every teacher, every faculty member, every person who works here. Schumer says he'll use his authority as majority leader to make sure his plan will be included in the budget. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm Dave Lucas. You are listening to the Legislative Gazette, a program about New York state government and politics. I'm David Gustina. Legislative Gazette political observer Alan Shartok spoke this week with New York State Assemblywoman Amy Paulin of the 88th District, 
She chairs the Assembly Health Committee and spoke to Allen about the current situation with medication abortion and her plans to expand access in New York. Hopefully that uh, decision will get re- um, changed or overturned. Uh, the, the FDA has said now these drugs, this medication abortion, can be, uh, can be um, e- easily uh, given out at a retail pharmacy. And when I checked, when I had this original idea, I ran it by doctors who are doing abortions, uh, either either prescribing medication abortion or they're doing surgical abortions. And I said, is there a reason why we wouldn't want young women in particular who don't have access or busy women or women who um, uh, see, where there's providers that are hard to find or make an appointment? Uh, why we wouldn't give them access to medication abortion in this more easily obtained manner. And they said, absolutely not. They said that they are primarily doing medication abortion. They are primarily doing it uh, through telehealth. Uh, when you see a pharmacist, there's actually you know, a more direct uh, contact with a health professional. And they give, would give the, the woman the same advice that a pharmacist could give them which is if there's any uh, excessive bleeding or hurt or problem, which there are almost none, you know, very minimal, uh, go to an emergency room, you know, so, um, or, you know, or, or call, you know, call your primary doctor or what have you, you know, that, so the, um, so the information that would be given would be the same. And there's no reason not to make, medication abortion more acceptable and more accessible and uh, for for women. There are countries that actually have it over the counter. India, mm. huge country, lots of women. Uh, you, you might want to argue it has less sophisticated um, uh, medical opportunities than we have here. You know, certainly not everyone has access there. Uh, and so what they do is they make it over the counter. And it, to no one's hurt, it, you know, just it just provides access and, and and helps people. So so once I've heard that, I you know I went ahead and I said I'm drafting legislation to to accomplish it. And now with this decision, oh my goodness, you know you, you want to make a point that you know we here in New York uh, believe that uh, that women shouldn't be denied this this opportunity. I mean opportunity. They shouldn't be denied having a medication abortion. Why, why are we forcing women to have surgery if they want to have an abortion? How awful and absurd. You know, this, these drugs have been around for, for 20 years, and no one, no one has had adverse reactions that, that anybody can think of that we know of, right? So, so it, is, it is so important to maintain uh, the integrity of the FDA. We cannot let uh, anti-choice, one anti-choice judge use his personal feelings to influence uh, the, uh, the, all the women in the United States. Thank you, Amy Pullen. Governor Kathy Hochul has now said the state will stockpile the medication abortion drug, as will Massachusetts and other states. Won't these stockpiles encourage people from other states, like Texas, for example, where they're not always as uh, bright as we are, to flock to New York to get the drug? Right. I think that's, that's great. Let's hope we don't need it. That's New York State Assemblywoman Amy Pollan of the 88th District speaking with the Legislative Gazette's Alan Chartaw. 
You are listening to the Legislative Gazette, a program about New York State government and politics. I'm David Gustino. New York U.S. Senator Kirsten Gillibrand visited the St. Regis Mohawk tribe recently to outline a five-point master plan on aging her office is developing. The Legislative Gazette's Pat Bradley explains. Senator Gillibrand's office cites data that by 2034, the number of adults age 65 and older will be greater than the number of children under 18 for the first time in the country's history. The Democrat visited the reservation located along the St. Lawrence River in northern New York to unveil the plan she says would ensure aging rights and financial security. We have been talking about our challenges that seniors have been facing for a long time. We understand that for older Americans, there are a lot of impediments to aging in place, to getting the services you need, to making sure you have food security, to making sure that you get the health care that you need when you need it. And so I have been working over the last few months on a master plan on aging. And the purpose of this master plan is to make sure we have legislation to solve each of these problems and to really show our older Americans that we not only care about them, but we want them to not just survive, we want them to thrive. Gillibrand, a member of the Senate's Special Committee on Aging, outlined the points in her plan and how each would help seniors as they age. The first one is to make sure they have access to affordable and healthy meals. Second, we want to make sure that our seniors have access to reliable health care. Third, we're going to make sure that older adults have economic security in their retirement. The fourth idea is to make sure people can age in place. And then the fifth thing we want to do is be able to have affordable housing, to be able to have uh, good um, transportation infrastructure, and then last, uh, making sure that seniors can actually be in the workplace if they want to be. So these are just a few things that I think will make life better for our older Americans. St. Regis Mohawk Tribe Senior Center Director Laura Lee LaFrance is thrilled to hear there are efforts at the federal level to enhance and meet the needs of elders. I am a member of the New York State Stakeholders Committee, which is currently developing a New York State Master Plan for Aging. And one of the important things that we need to realize with the Master Plan for Aging that it is not only for our older adults that we serve now, but it's also to ensure that older adults in the future also have the resources so they can live a long, healthy, happy, enjoyable life. Association on Aging Executive Director Becky Preve represents the 59 offices on aging across New York. She noted the state is fourth in the nation with a population over 60. We're working really closely with Department of Health and New York State Office for the Aging on a New York State Master Plan for Aging to be inclusive and combat ageism. I can't thank the senator enough, her team, her staff. They are taking a thoughtful process to look at the Older Americans Act and how we can make changes and they're facilitating input from community members. Gillibrand wants funding increased in the Older Americans Act, which includes social and nutrition services. She is also advocating passage of numerous bills, including the Senior Hunger Prevention Act, the Prescription Drug Price Relief Act, the Social Security Expansion Act, and the Senior Financial Empowerment Act. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm Pat Bradley.
You are listening to the Legislative Gazette, a program about New York State government and politics. I'm David Gustina. Redistricting is supposed to happen once a decade after the latest census data is released. But if New York Governor Kathy Hochul and Attorney General Tish James have their way, the state could reopen this particular can of worms. The Democrats have joined a legal effort to allow an independent redistricting commission to draw new lines rather than continue using the maps drawn last year by a court-appointed special master. The Legislative Gazette's Ian Pickus sat down with Columbia Law School professor Richard Brefault to talk about the situation. So without going into too much detail, uh, in 2014, the voters approved a constitutional amendment which was designed to uh, move the redistricting process for both congressional districts and state legislative districts uh, into a different system. There was an independent redistricting commission, that was the name of it, was going to be created with appointees from both parties. They were supposed to come up with a plan, uh, which would then be submitted to the legislature, which would have to give it a yes or no vote um, without amendments. The legislature didn't approve it. The commission was supposed to come up with a second plan. Again, the legislature was supposed to give it a yes or no vote. And finally, if that second plan failed, then the legislature was supposed to could adopt its own plans, um, uh, working from what the commission did. Well, the system broke down early on. The commission did its initial part of the job. It, it got all the data. It had hearings all over the state. It heard a ton of witnesses. But the commission divided uh, five-five along, politi- along party lines. And so it was unable to come up with one plan. It submitted two plans, one from each party to the legislature, which rejected both. At that point, um, I think the legislature concluded the, the commission then was unable to meet further because the Republican members essentially boycotted the commission. Um, and uh, therefore, the commission didn't have a quorum. So the legislature then went ahead and developed, enacted its own plan. Democrats dominated both houses of the legislature. And it was a plan that was uh, seen as very friendly to Democrats. Uh, that, w- that was then challenged in court by Republicans, essentially, uh, who brought the- who very cleverly uh, brought their suit in a um, upstate uh, for an upstate judge, Republican upstate judge, as it happened, um, who concluded both that the process had broken down, that the constitutional process had not been followed because the the, in- the independent redistricting commission hadn't issued a second plan. And that the particular plan the legislature adopted for the congressional districts was, a, was an unconstitutional gerrymander. That went up to the Court of Appeals. Uh, the Court of Appeals ultimately agreed with that, sent it back to the, to, the, to the trial court judge in Steuben County, who appointed a special master who then wrote the plan that, that was in use in the congressional uh, districts that we just had the election on in 2022. Aye, aye, aye. Uh, h- how did the special master do? Well, the special master, uh, who was not from New York, was brought in from out of state, uh, emphasized the creation of competitive districts. So he departed from the traditional districting lines in many areas. I mean, New York York lost one congressional district, and there were population changes in different parts of the state. But in the past, districts were sort of based on prior districts, the cores of old districts. He departed from that considerably. Uh, the most dramatic one was in Manhattan, where for time immemorial, I think, the east side and the west side had different congressional districts. He merged them. Um, he did other things. Now, uh, he did create a number of very competitive districts. Uh, as it happened, because uh, many, of the, most of the very close districts went Republican in the last election. Uh, but they were close. They were, many of them were quite close. So he, I think his goal was to focus on competitive districts rather than uh, maintaining uh, the cores of, of old districts. Now, a cynic might say, 
Democrats blame the loss of their House majority in large part on those flips that you mentioned, largely in New York's Hudson Valley. Is this effort to revisit the lines potentially based on Democrats wanting to get those New York seats back? Uh, that wouldn't surprise me. I'm not sure who be, who began this uh, case, um, and there are some arguments that it broke that the, the lines broke off some traditional communities, including minority communities. But it is certainly possible <laughs> uh, that with a new set of lines uh, drawn on, with the legislature ultimately involved again, uh, they might be more they might be more favorable to Democrats. Again, uh, the complaint, which is one that the that the governor and the attorney general have signed on to. Uh, as they entered as amicus, so as in, um, separately but supporting, is that the plans that were adopted in 2022 for the congressional district should be used only for 2022, and they should be seen as sort of an emergency or stopgap measure because there wasn't enough time at the end of April of 2022 to send the whole process back to the redistricting commission and to the and to the legislature, but that. The Constitution of New York basically requires that if there was a if flaws were found in a redistricting plan, and there, and this one was found to be a, an unconstitutional gerrymander, it should go back to the legislature. So what they want is actually to go back to the redistricting commission, which still exists and is actually working, because they are. Uh, one one plan that was never revisited last year was the plan for the assembly. The plan for the assembly, the problem with that is it had the same unconstitutional process in that it never went through two rounds of the redistricting commission. The legislature just picked up after one redistricting commission plan. So that was also challenged, but by the time that challenge was brought, it was too late to redo the lines for 2022. So the legislature's lines were used in 2022, but the IRC, the Independent Redistricting Commission, is up and running and is coming up and is actually should later this month be issuing new, a new assembly plan, which will then go to the legislature. And this time, the IRC seems to be working collaboratively. The two parties seem to be getting along much better than they did in 2022. So the theory of the lawsuit is that we do have an IRC, an Independent Redistricting Commission, that is up and running. We should send the congressional districts back to them. Treat what happened in 2022 as kind of the, the treat the special master's plan as a kind of a response to the emergency of needing to have a plan in place for the 2022 election, but then in some sense return to the constitutional process that the voters approved in 2014. That is a, the theory of the case. Do you think that argument has merit? I think it does, actually. Uh, That doesn't tell me that that it's going to win, but I think it has a lot of merit. The Constitution clearly says that if if, if a plan is found to violate the rules in the Constitution, in this case a partisan gerrymander, it should be sent back to the legislature. Um, Even the, the reform system that the voters adopted in 2014 Ultimately, it was still supposed to be the legislature's call. They were supposed to look at and take seriously the plan submitted by the IRC, but ultimately the legislature would decide, subject to the constitutional standards that the voters also adopted. So actually, I think there is a lot of merit to the argument that whatever happened in 2022, and this has, this has nothing to do with the wisdom or not of the special master's plan, um, but that the Constitution really treats this as ultimately a legislative matter, you need it as a stopgap or as an emergency, a special master in 22. But we should try and stick to the constitutional process as much as possible. And it is possible to do it again. Does history here play any role, though, um, given the fact that the special master only got involved when 
the commission deadlocked and the legislature drew what were deemed to be gerrymandered lines. So haven't they already had a chance at this? Well, one question is, would they, how would they do if they were given a second chance? I mean, I think the Constitution does say that if, um, if any, any lines are found to have violated the constitutional substantive requirements, the court should send it back to the legislature. Um, it may be that the legislature will have learned its lesson that if, uh, if they're too greedy, if they grab too much, they'll be slapped back. And what, the, what clearly did happen in, in 2022 is courts at all levels uh, agreed that the, that the new restriction in the Constitution, there's a, in addition to creating the new process of having this redistricting commission, there are new substantive rules, one of which is a prohibition on partisan gerrymandering. It's actually in the Constitution. The legislature found out that the courts are willing to give that some bite. Um, and so, yes, one can imagine a Democratic legislature might come up with more Democrat-friendly lines. But the, the, the lesson from 2022 is there's, there's limits as to how far they can go, and the courts will enforce those limits. So I don't, th- I don't think it would be uh, futile to go back to the IRC. I understand that's a legitimate concern. They, the IRC deadlocked once, the legislature blew them off once. Why won't that happen again? I think if they're paying attention to what happened in 2022, everyone will be more careful. And you can get some optimism from the fact that it looks like the assembly redistricting process that the IRC is currently doing seems to be, we'll know better by the end of the month, seems to be working in a more cooperative way. Columbia Law School professor Richard Brafalt, thank you as always for your expertise and your time. My pleasure. Thanks. And that about does it for this week's show. The Legislative Gazette is a production of WAMC Northeast Public Radio. Our executive producer is Alan Shartok. We had help from the New York State Public Radio Network. You can listen to the Legislative Gazette anytime at wamcpodcast.org or anywhere you get your podcast. Look for program number 2315. And join us again next week at this same time for more news on New York State government and politics. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm David Gustino.